Well, today we continue in our Blessed to be a Blessing sermon series. In his great wisdom, Pastor Brian, well before he went on his super sabbatical, oh, I wanted to make sure you didn't forget who Pastor Brian is. I know you haven't seen him since Mother's Day, and now we're at Father's Day. By the way, again, Jeff shared this as well. Thank you, all the fathers who are here and are blessing your families. It's a great responsibility, so I pray you've picked it up. I pray you're blessed today. Maybe you'll go for a bike ride, a barbecue. Uh, um, maybe you'll be the barbecuer. Wait, did that sound right? Yeah, you're doing the barbecuing, not being barbecued. I, I, in my mind, that sounded differently. Well, anyways, thank you for being here, uh, dads as well. Uh, Pastor Brian, when he set forth this sermon series on Discover Your Gifts, he did it so that we could have a focus throughout most of this year. And the focus today is in Matthew. So whether you're uh, here in the Bloomington area, online, maybe you're in the boundary waters of northern Minnesota, you can continue to discover your gifts through reading the Word of God, of course, but also reading the book, and there's free ones, I think, still available back at the welcome table. Last week, we started a two-week look at financial gifts by examining a simple snapshot of King Solomon from Second Chronicles, and please know that on page 39 of the workbook, for those of you familiar with it, the Discover Your Gifts workbook shares, financial gifts help you plan, organize, direct, and control financial activities to a, to a degree that covers us all. Even if you're getting an allowance that covers you, you have financial gifts and responsibilities, you'll plan how to spend it appropriately. Maybe it's going on a grand trip to the Holy Land. But no matter how you have the money, you're called to be a good steward of it to use financial gifts that bless the kingdom. I'd like to encourage you, if you have a Bible or your app on your phone, to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13 are our focus text today, and I'm going to share that with you at this time. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." Again, would you join me in a moment of prayer? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to read it, I pray, daily, and to dig into it this day, this Sunday, this Sabbath day that you've blessed us with. So thank you for bringing us together and listening and learning. I pray this in your name. Amen. So the calling of Matthew that I just read about actually appears in three of the Gospels. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. They're Gospels that are very similar. This, this story is found in Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5. And I point that out as a blessing. 
because it just didn't happen once, but it's recorded three times in the Bible in very similar ways, a little different, and we'll get into that in a moment, but it highlights the fact that this was important enough that God, through his divine dictation, had man write this down in three separate books, three separate gospels, and we're thankful for that. For those of you who are online, I pray that you take the opportunity to open your Bible, to hold it open, maybe make notes. As I said earlier, I was told when I was growing up never to make notes in your Bible, because that's God's holy book, and you shouldn't deface it. But if you look at some of my Bibles, I've defaced them plenty, and I think it's good. So sometimes we're moved by the Holy Spirit to remember something, so we make a notation in the column, and that's a healthy thing to do. I want to thank you all again for being present. I want to thank uh, Bridget for putting together the team and putting us online as well, because the people that are online are getting blessed. And I have friends in Georgia and Michigan family. I have people in California that are partaking in this time of worship, and that's a tremendous blessing as well as the word of God gets out to more and more people. Back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic Gospels, they're seen as being together, and what that really means as they have similar parables, similar stories in them, and those stories are presented in a similar sequence we find in the Synoptic Gospels, and yet there's differences in them. And I mentioned that a moment ago. According to Matthew chapter 9, which we read a moment ago, and Mark chapter 2, verse 14, Matthew is sitting by the customs house in Capernaum, which you can see is located at the Sea of Galilee. It's working behind me, right? Okay, good. I'm just presuming and praying at the same time. <laughs> this area continues to be very popular to travel to. I did it years ago, and maybe you have or will travel there, and you'll see where Peter was known to live during his adult life. When Jesus was in Capernaum, he called Matthew into his discipleship group. I say discipleship group, because it wasn't as if he called the tax collector Matthew and said, hey, you're one of my 12 top guys. That didn't happen right away. Actually, it happened just a little later in Scripture. We find that happening in Matthew chapter 10. And it's in all of those synoptic gospels. From Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. I'd like to break this verse down. As Jesus went on from there, where is the there? We can look back at verse 1 of chapter 9. Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. That's interesting, I find. Came to his own town. And for clarity, we can read from Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people had heard that he had come home. How many of you have ever thought that Jesus' home was in Capernaum? Most of us don't go that to that city right away when we think of Jesus. But scripture highlights this. There's a biblical confirmation in this reference to Capernaum. So we're thankful that Jesus' active ministry was headquartered, in a sense, along this northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Also, this location is established in the second part of verse 9. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. For those of you who may have a, a challenge when you read the Gospels, especially about this story, in Matthew, 
the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's called Matthew. I'm not going to talk about if this is the same Matthew who wrote it. There's all kinds of arguments about that. But this Matthew is the actual name used here in this text. But if you go to other texts, synoptic gospel texts, it's a little different. Let me share that with you. Mark chapter 2, verse 14. And as he, being Jesus, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Then in Luke chapter 5, after that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax office and said to him, follow me. Some people highlight those names being different, Matthew or Levi, Levi or Matthew. Well, they're actually the same by some consideration. They're both the same person. Matthew would be the Greek name and Levi the Hebrew name for this same individual, this same tax collector, this same Greek-speaking person who was contracted by the Roman government. He was a publican, so he would often speak in that Greek language at that time. And, oh, a publican, just for your uh, understanding, it would be a, like a contracted employee of Caesar, of Rome. But in that situation, he was there to collect taxes. The first tax man. Anybody work for the IRS here? Okay. At the last congregation we served, we had a, a member of the IRS. So he got a little touchy when we talked about this. But Matthew was the first tax man in the Bible. And he collected taxes and then some from Hebrew-speaking Jews. So we can see another example when names are changed a little in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, uh, we have Peter, who's also called Simon. So there's a little differentiation there, but we shouldn't get too hung up on that because the stories are so healthy for us to know. Tax collection in the first century. Probably not a good thing. Tax collection in the 21st century. Probably not that exciting of a thing either but it has to happen to some degree. An example of taxation in the first century and people uh, working the game, I'll say. Peter and Andrew, the disciples, you know of them, Peter and Andrew were very careful about their money. They literally uprooted their families from one locale and moved them to another to get a tax break. They had the home in Bethsaida and according to John chapter 1, verse 44, yet we find them and their families living in Capernaum, according to Mark chapter 1. The distance between the two cities is probably only about five miles, but they belonged in different tax jurisdictions. They're smart guys. Bethsaida, on one side of the Jordan River, was the territory of Herod Philip, while Capernaum on the other side belonged to that of Herod Antipas. Peter and Andrew needed to process their fish. So they went to the processing house in Capernaum. Now, if they were to carry those fish from where they caught them down the road to the city, to the processing plant, they would have had to pay a couple taxes. But by moving to Capernaum, they only had to pay one tax. Hmm. You got to love the fact that for over 2,000 years, people are smart enough to legally find ways not to pay the government our hard-earned money. 
I'm not going to get too deep into that one. Verse 9 again, all of it. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Follow me. Powerful words within Scripture. With these two words, Matthew, maybe one of the most uh, despised individuals in Capernaum because of his tax collecting profession, immediately was transformed into a disciple of Jesus Christ. We don't see any argument. We don't see, uh, hold on, I've got some business to take care of before I follow you. We just acknowledge, as Scripture does, that this new disciple got up and followed the King of Kings. And I believe this is an awesome illustration of God's power of transformation. And maybe you've had that in your life as well. That you were a, a rascal or some other name description, but then Jesus called you and you followed him and you still are following him. For his part, Matthew, before encountering Jesus, was a, a, probably a picture of man's depra depravity. He, he took money from people when he shouldn't have been taking money from them. That statement, he was sitting at the tax booth, is loaded with meaning. A tax collector, probably not the most liked guy in town, made a contract with the Roman government that they would give the Roman government X dollars. Anything above that, they got to keep. So it didn't matter if they charged the poorest guy in town double what they should, they got to keep whatever was extra. And they did this to the wealthy, the middle class, the lower class. They did it to everybody they could because they, the tax collector, Matthew in this case, wanted to gain as much wealth as they could at that time. They built personal wealth. F.M. Helcomem wrote that tax collectors actually stifled trade and operated what amounted to the local mafia of their day. So here's this historian looking back at first century tax guys saying that they weren't good for the economy, for the people at that time. To make matters worse, Matthew was despised for the people he was working for. He was working for the invaders, those Romans. The Jewish people had no love for the Roman government, for Rome. And here is Matthew, a Jew, working for them. Remember from the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his town. Jesus probably spent a great deal of time in Capernaum, and yet Matthew, sitting at probably the docks or a main road, would have seen Jesus, would have seen some of the people with him, but it didn't change his heart. That didn't affect him, hearing stories about Jesus. He had to be aware of some of Jesus' greatest miracles. You'll recall them when I share this. There were some guys that had a friend who was ill, and he was on a stretcher. They opened up a roof and lowered him down so Jesus could heal him. That was in Capernaum. That would have been something Matthew would have heard about. And Jesus also healed many ill people in that time and in that space, casting out demons, cleaning up the diseases of the people. Matthew had to hear about this but it didn't have the slightest effect on this tax collector until Jesus came to him and said, follow me. Powerful words. 
I bet Matthew in his time thought he was using his financial gifts in a good way. Now, we all know that money can be the root of all evil. Actually, the wording is, the love of money can be the root of all evil. I can assume a tax collector in the first century had a love for money. He wanted to get wealthy. He wanted all he could get while he could get it. So he wasn't healthy, though. Even though he had financial gifts, he was not doing what God desired until he heard the words, follow me. There's nothing told to us about Matthew that could explain his sudden willingness to convert, to follow Jesus Christ. And instead, as 21st century disciple of Jesus Christ, I view this as the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applying Jesus' call upon Matthew, changing his heart through divine grace and power that only God can provide. Let's move forward. Verse 10 in our text. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Luke chapter 5 verse 29 shares this. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. These texts, very similar from the Synoptic Gospels, these texts indicate Matthew's throwing a party at his house. He's having a big banquet. His wealth would have allowed him to easily do that. He had money. He could do this. And when you throw a party, who do you invite? Who did Matthew invite? You invite the people that you know. It could be from church. It could be family. It could be workplace. It could be peers. But Matthew gave an invitation to other tax collectors and sinners as it's described in the Bible. And of course, why not? Why wouldn't he have invited them? They were probably the people that he hung out with. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were present in the presence of Jesus the Christ. And Jesus being there, being with tax collectors and sinners, caused a stir. In Jesus' recorded ministry, he's stirring the pot a lot as we read Scripture. But he's following his father's way. He's not following man's way. He's following what his father God desired, not the corrupted culture of the day. Verse 11 shares this. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Great question. If we were there, not invited to the banquet, we might be asking something like that as well. Why is Jesus, why is this healer, why is this great physician, why is this miracle worker eating with those people? Those religious leaders, the Pharisees, were all about following their legal ways. Not always based on scripture, but based sometimes on their fathers of the faith from centuries before. They were more about following those cultural things than just holding on to God's word. So the Pharisees questioned Jesus' disciples. You notice that. They didn't go to Jesus. They questioned his disciples. How did the disciples respond? They didn't. 
Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that the disciples responded to these Pharisees in this situation. Instead, we have verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Who is the sick Jesus is referring to? Is it you? Is it me? Is it those who have stepped away from following Jesus? Is it those in the first century that weren't looking to Father God and all of his blessings? They weren't living out the Father's will, but they were living out man's will? When Jesus said this to the Pharisees, he was highlighting their hypocrisy. They thought they were living out what the Bible had, but they were living out what man had, what the church fathers, in a sense, had. Jesus threw it back at them in verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not a sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. They, the Pharisees, these intelligent religious leaders of the day, should have recognized this from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where it says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Mercy within this context of Hosea 6 might also be translated as kindness, loving kindness, goodness, or compassion. Shouldn't these religious leaders of the day, these Pharisees, been showing compassion to those that didn't know God, the tax collectors and the sinners? Shouldn't we do the same as well? Something that the Pharisees and the critics of Jesus lacked was mercy. And please know, this, isn't, this is the first time, this is the first time in recorded scripture that Jesus confronts the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees in this case. Some of you may recall Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. He confronted them. He called them, you brood of vipers. I love that. You brood of vipers. I'm glad I've never been called that. But you brood of vipers. So he, he confronted them. Jesus talked about them earlier in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, but he didn't speak directly to them. He was teaching his disciples. This is the first time that we have Jesus speaking directly to them. They didn't want to speak directly to Jesus. They were speaking to his disciples. But Jesus spoke directly to them, in a sense, putting them in their place. So this is Jesus talking to these religious leaders of the day and pointing out to them their hypocrisy. Verse 12 and th verses 12 and 13 cause us to examine as well our relationship with the true healer, which is Jesus the Christ. By that I mean uh, we might go to a doctor and we might get some healing medication or practice, whatever it may be, and we might find physical healing, but someone might not be able to see the illness that is inside of us. Let me share a story as I head down the home stretch of this blessed to be a blessing message. Father James McTavish, a Catholic priest who is actually a renowned surgeon, wrote this. I remember during my plastics and reconstructive surgery fellowship training in Sydney, Australia, I saw a man who had slashed his wrist with a desire to commit suicide. After a long operation to reconstruct various tendons and nerves, I visited the boy the next morning. I told him that we had fixed his hand. He started to cry. I asked him, why are you crying? The worst part is over. We fixed your hand. 
He replied, you fix my hand, who's going to fix my life? Father McTavish continued, the young man I saw was in good physical health, but he lacked the essential, the desire to live. An operation can cure the superficial wounds, but to heal the deeper wounds, surely the help and the grace of Jesus, the good doctor, is needed, Father McTavish wrote. It's so true today. If you're feeling ill, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I pray that you can seek help from a Christian. Seek help from someone who walks with the same Savior you walk with, Jesus the Christ. Find wise counsel in fellow Christians. In Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, he was probably considered healthy by the community, not by the people he took money from. They didn't like him. But he, by his fellow tax collectors and sinners, would probably have been considered healthy and wealthy. And he was all good. But he needed a new heart. He needed a transformation. And that's what happened when Jesus said, follow me. His life was transformed. He was called into something greater than himself. And unlike the Pharisees Jesus addressed in verses 12 and 13, Matthew confessed Jesus as his master. Matthew gave up the keys to his earthly kingdom, that being money as his focus, so he could seek a larger life with Jesus Christ serving him and others instead of being, being, being behind that terrible tax table. And please know, Matthew didn't do this in secret either. He didn't get up and follow Jesus and then not talk about it. He did it publicly. I can't imagine what other people that saw him on a day-to-day -day basis taking money from people he shouldn't have been taking money from saw him get up and follow this Jesus. Just get up and follow him. Not hesitating. Not saying, I gotta get my affairs in order. But simply following Jesus. It's a great example for us, even 2,000 years later. We're called to be known as disciples of Jesus Christ. Not as members of a particular church, but as disciples in the kingdom of God. And Matthew called Jesus his master. I wonder if all of us do. Jesus was a master of Matthew's life, and we can give thanks for that. And I pray apply that into our lives today. Here's two points, final points, that Matthew did that can help us as well. Matthew left his sins behind. Jeff, in the time of confession on Sunday mornings, gives us that opportunity to do that when he leads us in that time. But Jesus is the one, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that makes it happen. But we need to confess our sins. When we're told later in verse 28 of the fifth chapter of Luke, he got up, left everything, and followed him. He left everything. Sometimes we hold on to stuff. Baggage that maybe he's been with us for years. We haven't left it behind. We need to, using that terminology many of you are familiar with, let go and let God. The whole idea of turning away, as Matthew did from a dishonest business, was turning towards Christ and being a follower of Jesus and doing what God wanted, 
How are we doing in that area? How are you doing in that area? Doing what God desires for your life. Sometimes it's difficult, but as Christians, that's what we're called to do. Number two for Matthew is telling our friends. I am sure Matthew didn't sit on his feet. Wait, sit on his hands. You can't sit on your feet. I guess some of you can. Picturing that right now, sorry. I'm sure Matthew just didn't sit by. He told his fellow tax collectors. Why do we know that? He threw a big banquet and invited them into his house. And they got to hear about Jesus, about how Matthew had been transformed and now was following Jesus. So Matthew wasn't private about his faith. He was public about it. And that's a powerful thing for us. When we can apply this invitational blessing to other people that aren't connected yet with Jesus Christ, that is so important. How can you do that? Maybe you can take someone out to lunch who you know isn't walking with Jesus or has turned away from Jesus. Maybe you can go for a walk on the Constitution Trail with them and by modeling a Christian life, influence them. Maybe if it's appropriate, you can invite them into your life group for an opportunity if you're hosting it at your home, inviting a neighbor. Being invitational is part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But you also have to be prepared. Remember the latter verses of our focus text today. Those Pharisees, those outsiders weren't kind to those that were gathering. And some people won't be kind to us either. Okay, it's time. Please know that next week we're going to be looking at critical thinking. It's a component of our gifts that is being studied by many of you in life groups. Sarah and I will actually be stepping away for the weekend. We're going to celebrate our 40 years of Christian marriage. And Faith will have a guest proclaimer. A guest. You don't know who it is. So you'll have to come and find out and be blessed by ice cream. Please know there'll be a lot more because I won't be here. Ice cream, that is. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy Spirit, as another man will stand up here next Sunday, we pray you bless his speaking and all those present in their listening. And Jesus, bless us each day to understand our calling and giftedness. Cause us to be solid stewards of our financial blessings. Cause us to invest in your kingdom here at faith and through faith to the ends of the earth. Lord, in your mercy.